fantastic. I'm the best place I could be tonight on a Wednesday. And, and something I really want to share is that I love the support that my small group always gives me. I love how we chant our name. I love that we chant our small group name, Beast Mode, all throughout service. When either I'm in front or someone else is, they're a great group of guys. Josue, DJ, Luis, Abraham, Sarah, Nick, Chris, Luke, I love all of them. Boyd, too. Oh, no. I can't forget Boyd. Yeah, they are a great group of guys, very fun, very faithful, willing, and available and teachable. And I love having small group every Thursday night at my house at 7. We pray together. We worship. We watch Thursday night football together. We go on late night cookout runs. And we pick up a smart member on the way. <laughs> and that's how we do things, our brotherhood. And I love having small group and since or at my house all throughout the week. To study the Bible, to do schoolwork as I'm doing my work. It's a great time. And even though I love having sins over at my house, that was not always the case. Because when I was a kid, when it came to having people over at my home, it was actually something I did not enjoy. The reason being that for me, personally, it was always a place of anxiety. Because whenever a guest would come over, there would be burdensome cleaning. My parents, my mom, my sister would tell me to watch my behavior, only talk when I'm spoken to. So I, I really, oh, you agree with me, Luke. <laughs> so I, I really couldn't feel like I could be like myself. Then when the guests would come over, whether they were a relative or a friend, they would participate in more adult conversation with my parents. So I, I really didn't feel I could participate because a lot of their conversations and topics were not very relevant to me because I was so young. So I kind of just kept to myself. So that's why throughout my young life, I always had more of a negative viewpoint with the concept of having people over at my house. But that changed when I first got to college as a freshman and I joined Chi Alpha. Because when I joined Chi Alpha as a freshman, I met my core group of friends, and we were also the leadership team. And these were wonderful people. And it was really the first time in my life that I was around young people that were serious about pursuing God. They invited me into friendship. They invited me into leadership, into community, and even to a retreat at Lake Anna. And there should be a picture of that retreat. So there we are in Lake Anna. You see an 18-year-old Moises. I don't, think, I don't think I've changed that much in my... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the only thing different about me is my glasses. <laughs> so we're in Lake Anna. We're having a wonderful meal together at that dining room table. And when I went to this retreat, it really helped to cement the friendships I start to form. I met people like Caleb, people like Chloe, Afia, Keith, Alex, Billy, Stephen. By the way, they all gave me permission, each of them, to share their names tonight. So I met them, and they all were wonderful people. And they showed me radical hospitality. They showed me Jesus' love. When they invited me to a retreat, when they invited me to be a student leader, when they invited me to their home, to pray, to laugh, to fellowship. I remember there'll be times where Chloe, Keith, Caleb and I, we will cast vision for our lives, talk about working in ministry together professionally, how cool it would be if we all were pastors of the same church and we each would have to set the department we'd be in charge of. 
So you see, when I came to Kaiapha, these individuals, they showed me hospitality in a way that I didn't really know you could experience. And it changed the whole concept of even having people over at your home from a negative standpoint to a positive standpoint. Especially when I first got to college, I was not very interested in actually making a lot of friends. I kept people at a distance. I wanted to just really be by myself. But all changed when God really touched my heart. And there are a lot of things you can think about when you think about the word hospitality. Because it's a very common generic term. It can mean maybe giving someone a name tag, greeting someone at a door, letting someone sleep over at your house, or maybe preparing a dining room table for a friend. But biblically, hospitality means to show kindness to a stranger. And Rosia Butterfield, she's a Christian author and speaker. And she wrote a book called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. And in that book, Rosia Butterfield made a really profound quote about hospitality that I really, really enjoyed. And the quote, it goes like this. Radical, ordinary hospitality is this. You should use your Christian home in a daily way that seeks to make strangers neighbors and neighbors into the family of God. And usually, I know that the word radical can have a negative connotation, but for my reasons tonight, the word radical also has another definition. It means to change the fundamental nature of something. So radical hospitality goes much further than being friendly to someone. It's inviting people into your life so they can experience God and become a part of the family of God. That's what it means to live life with the gospel being a house key. Because why is a house key important? To get into your house. Thank you, JJ. I can always count on you to answer. And smart we does the same thing. So you're right, a house key is very important, really because it has great practical uses. A house key lets you open and close the door to your home. And also, if you give, let's say, a friend or another family member a house key, what does that mean? Yes, Jasmine, all of you are right. It means you trust them. They can come over. They don't have to call you ahead of time. You've given them trust. You've given them ownership. And they probably have credibility in your life, which is why you trust them with a house key. So they can come over and watch Thursday night football every Thursday night. You know, or text you last minute to watch the Lakers play at 10 p.m. That's an inside joke. So when I first came to Chi Alpha, I was a stranger to the Chi Alpha students I mentioned, Chloe, Caleb, Afia, Keith, because they had no prior knowledge of who I was as a person. But they showed me radical hospitality. They invited me into their family. And I went from a stranger to friendship to being a core member of their group. And they showed me how to live life with the gospel being a house key. And that's why for tonight's purposes, the house I'm talking about is our lives. And the importance of opening up our lives to other people so they can experience God's kingness and God's goodness. Because isn't that what we all want? to feel accepted, to feel wanted, to feel valued, because we are relational beings. It's who we are. It's in the core of our DNA. Even if you are introverted and you're more soft-spoken, God created us to be relational beings because he's a relational God. He's in constant community with himself. We see this through the Holy Spirit. I'm sorry, the Holy Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
just like when I came to Cal as a freshman, when I experienced hospitality and kindness, I was then empowered to show that to other people. And that's why tonight, as you all know, we have been studying the life of David this semester. And now we're going to look at another snapshot of David's life where he showed kindness to a stranger in a very countercultural way. And tonight's passage is 2 Samuel 9. But first, let's all pray together. Lord God, I want to thank you for tonight. Thank you for this opportunity to worship you corporately. I pray that tonight we can put away any distractions from our minds. God, just focus on you and your word. And that your word can empower us, encourage us, God, and speak profoundly. In the name of Jesus, amen. So we're in 2 Samuel chapter 9. And in the previous chapter, chapter 8, you can read all of David's many military victories. And in chapter 9, we find that he has been leading Israel for years in their golden age. He has been leading with honor. He's been leading with excellence. People trust him. Throughout our series, we have seen David go from being a shepherd boy to a successful military leader and now a successful king. But in spite of all of his successes, he still has a really tender heart to please God. 2 Samuel 9, verses 1 through 4. One day, David asked, Is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? He summoned a man named Ziba, who had been one of Saul's servants. Are you Ziba, the king asked? Yes, sir, I am, Ziba replied. The king then asked him, is anyone still alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show God's kindness to them. Ziba replied, yes, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive. He is crippled in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. In Lodabar, Ziba told him, at the house of Makir, son of Amiel. Now, to give you all some cultural context, at this time, whenever a new king would take the throne, all the family members of the previous king would be killed. Which is why it's so interesting that here with David the king, he actually wants to show honor to the prior king's family, which is Saul. Because Jonathan was the son of Saul. And Jonathan and David were best friends. And before Jonathan died, we find out, David promised Jonathan that he would take care of any one of his remaining descendants. And this is also very interesting because, like I mentioned, Saul is the father of Jonathan and was the prior king of Israel before David. But he lost the throne because he disobeyed God. Then, because he was also jealous of David, he tried to kill David numerous times. So it's nice that instead of going with the culture of revenge by killing the last members of Saul's family, David actually wants to honor Saul's family. To not only keep the promise that he made to Jonathan, but he also wants to show someone else the same kindness that God has given him. Verses 5 through 8. So David sent for him and brought him from Makir's home. His name was Mephibosheth. And he was Jonathan's son and Saul's grandson. You know, I just want this a side note. It's not really relevant to the passage. But this is one of my favorite stories about David. And I love Mephibosheth because his name took me such a long time to get to know how to pronounce. I thought about just calling him Mr. M. But I can relate because I have a hard name to pronounce that starts with an M. 
But I also want to give you another cultural context. This actually is relevant to the passage. So when it says that he lived in the home of Makir, that's interesting because usually at this time in biblical days, if you could not live in your own home and you had to live in someone else's house, usually that was a sign of poverty. So David sent for him and brought him from Makir, saying, his name was Mephibosheth. He was Jonathan's son and Saul's grandson. When he came to David, he bowed low to the ground in deep respect. David said, greetings, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth replied, I am your servant. Don't be afraid, David said. I intend to show kindness to you because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will eat here with me at the king's table. Mephibosheth bowed respectfully and exclaimed, Who is your servant that you shall show such kindness to a dead dog like me? Now, Mephibosheth, we first read about him in 2 Samuel 4. He is five years old, and he's being taken care of by a man. In 2 Samuel chapter 4, that's when word gets out that Saul and Jonathan have both died on the battlefield with the Philistines. So as soon as the nurse hears that Saul and Jonathan have both died, the scripture says that she picked up Mephibosheth. Because remember, whenever a new king would take the throne, the protocol was that all the family members of the previous king would be killed. So, fearing for Mephibosheth's life, the nurse picked him up and fled with him. But in the process, she dropped him, crippling both of his feet. His feet. So he became lame, and it was difficult for him to walk. Then she brought him to a city named Lodabar. And that name, Lodabar, for the city, when you translate it, it literally means no new horizon or no opportunities. Now, this sounds like a pretty tragic story at first. Because at one point, Mephibosheth, he was in line to be a king. Now, through no fault of his own, he has been crippled. He has been exiled. He cannot provide for his family or himself. And he's living in a city with no opportunities. And... Just like with Mephibosheth, him being crippled physically. I bet there are a lot of times where we could be crippled emotionally. Maybe you're going through depression or anxiety. You're struggling with if college is a place for you, how are you going to use that degree? Maybe you feel a little bit insignificant and an outcast. Like Mephibosheth, when he came to David, he called himself a dead dog, meaning that he felt very insignificant. I know at one point I did. Like when I was a kid and people would come over to my house and I felt like I couldn't engage what was going on and I was off to the side. I felt very broken emotionally, which really led way to how I made feel growing up. But just like with Mephibosheth, we can experience healing when we are brought into the family of God. And also, when David brought Mephibosheth to the kingdom, something that I really noticed when I was reading this passage is how when the servant went to go get Mephibosheth, when Ziba knew that Mephibosheth was out there, instead of calling him by his name, he called him a cripple. But when David saw Mephibosheth, he called him by his name. And to me, that was really a significant detail because it reminds me of how God looks at us. He doesn't look on the outside. He looks on the inside, just like with David. And David, even though he's king at this point, David had a lot of experience with being an outcast because when he was younger, he was also put off to the side. When the prophet Samuel came to David's hometown to anoint him to be king, if you all remember, 
Jesse, which is David's dad, didn't think that David had what it took to be king and didn't even bring him out to be seen by the prophet. And then when they wanted to go fight Goliath, Saul told him that he just basically didn't stand a chance. So he knows what it's like to be an outcast and for people to look down on you. But what I'm encouraged by that story is that he always kept his attention on God and not what people thought about him. And now he's able to also extend that same level of compassion and kindness to someone else. Even with the beginning of the chapter, he wants to show kindness to someone in Jonathan's family. And he acknowledges that all the blessings in his life came from God. Because he's experienced God's kindness and passion and forgiveness vertically. Now he wants to extend it and distribute it horizontally to someone else. Verses 9 through 13. Then the king summoned Saul's servant Ziba and said, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and servants are to farm the land and tend to produce food for your master's household. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, will eat here at my table. Now, I love when you read some of the scriptures in the Bible. Sometimes it has like a little parentheses fun fact. So here in mind, it said that Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. And I want to stop here because sometimes when you read a passage like this one that's not very long, sometimes you can miss the details that's actually very important. Because when you read this story, it's not a very long story, but it's a very important story. And sometimes we can think it's just about God using David to restore someone's life like Mephibosheth. But when I read this part, I can see how this story is about restoring someone's life, but also rebuilding community. And I'll highlight what I mean by that. Because in the very beginning of the chapter, it said, Then the king summoned Saul's servant Ziba and said, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. So I'm going to assume that Ziba was probably maybe ahead for Saul on some level. And here in this passage, it says that you and your sons and servants have to farm the land and produce food for your master's household. So here I see that David has given back land that belonged to Mephibosheth's family in the beginning when Saul was in power. He also has given Ziba and his sons and his servants to basically farm this land. And the reason this is very significant is because in biblical times, agriculture and owning land was a main source of income. So when King Saul lost his right to the throne, he also lost his land. That means his family lost their land. They lost their job and their source of income. But now, because David has welcomed Mephibosheth into the palace to sit at the king's table, now all that land has been restored back to them. And he has not only restored Mephibosheth, but also his family and their lineage. And this is a really beautiful story because when I look at the interaction between David and Mephibosheth, it's also a reflection of our interaction with God. Because before we come to David's palace, we're like Mephibosheth. We're lost. We're broken. We're outcasts. We're crippled. We lost our right to the kingdom. We can feel insignificant. But when we come to David's palace and we accept the kindness from the king, we are elevated. We are restored. And just like how David invited Mephibosheth to eat at his palace and to have a seat at his table, Jesus invites us as his disciples to also have a seat at his table in the kingdom. Verse 11 through 12. Ziba replied, yes, my lord, the king answered. I am your servant, and I will do all that you have commanded. And from that time on, Mephibosheth ate regularly at David's table as one of the king's ancestors. And Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah. Or Micah. Hope I said that right. I'll use the audio Bible later and see how you would say it. 
From then on, all the members of Ziba's household were Mephibosheth's clerks. And Mephibosheth, who was careful in both feet, lived in Jerusalem, made regular efforts in the city. So I really like how when Mephibosheth first came to the palace, David told him not to be afraid. And David gave Mephibosheth a lot of reasons not to be afraid. Because he could have killed them, he could have punished them, but instead he gave him a seat at his table at the palace. And not just on one day, regularly. Every meal he could eat at the palace. And remember, it's very countercultural because culturally, David should have killed Mephibosheth. But a big part of the gospel is inviting strangers and even enemies of God to become a part of the family. Because the gospel comes with an attitude. And something that I like about this story is that, like I said, it shows our interaction with God and the beauty of the gospel. But it also shows us how Jesus' redemptive sacrifice on the cross has set us free. And how the kingdom always has a place in one place. And that's why I really like how our Chi Alpha ministry actually, throughout this semester, we have done a really good job inviting new students into this culture of hospitality and kindness. And I really have seen that played out particularly in my small group as well. Because in the beginning of the semester, our first meeting was playing spike ball at Monterey Park. And this was my first time playing spike ball. And I just love the competitive energy that all my guys brought. Some of them, it was their first time playing. But as soon as they got into it, they were playing like they were playing it their whole lives. So in the beginning, we were strangers. Then we became friends, and now we're family. So after our first meeting of playing spike ball at Monterey Park, the next meeting, we had life sharing at my house where we all went around and shared key moments of our life that made us who we are. And there's a photo right there. That's right, beast mode. And one of the ways that I'm even more encouraged with our small group is the ways we always show hospitality and kindness to one another. We care about each other. We pray for each other. We take each other for meals. We chant our name whenever one of us is being acknowledged in some way at our meeting. And one moment that this really showed itself was after one small group meeting, Abraham let us know that he had a flat tire. So afterwards, Bo and I went to go help him. So we got his spare tire, which also was flat. <laughs> so what Bo and I did, we drove to a gas station nearby to use their air pump, but they did not have a working air pump. So then... We drove to a curb by my house, and I was able to put tire in the air and drive back to Abraham. Yeah, did I say it right? What? Put tire in the air? Oh, I said put tire in the air? Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, air in the tire. <laughs> And then we drove back to Abraham, and we put the tire back on, and Abraham was to drive home safely. And then about maybe three weeks or so after that, I was driving home after morning prayer, and I realized that I also had a flat tire. So I stopped at the same Kroger <laughs> to put air in the tire, <laughs> but that didn't do anything. So I texted in the group chat, hey, guys, I'm by Kroger. I have a flat tire. And because I've never changed a tire on my own before, I was kind of nervous to do it by myself. So I texted in the group chat, hey, are any of you around to kind of help me? And then Luis called me and said, hey, 
just come over to my house and I'll take a break from work and I can help you. So I drove. He lives close to me. I drove nine minutes on a five tire and I probably shouldn't have done that. <laughs> but Luis was able to help me and using his man strength got, got that tire out. And <laughs> because it was tough. It was stuck there pretty good. So he put so he put the tire in and I was able to, my spare tire in, I was able to drive home safe. That's what I mean. We show a culture of kindness and hospitality to each other. And I've always been encouraged by that. And one more person I really want to highlight in this area is Boyd. So we first met Boyd during the first week of school when he came to our club fair. Then I met Boyd when he came to the chapel, a church his son wants to go to. Great church, by the way, in Scott's edition. Thursday at 9, 30, 11, 15, if you're looking for a church. <laughs> so I met Boyd at the chapel, and when we connected after service, I'm a really good judge of character. So as soon as I saw Boyd, I could see that he was very eager not only to know and press into God deeper, but to also step into community. By the way, Boyd gave me permission to share all this, by the way. It's a side note, but I just want to make that clear. So when I heard that Boyd wanted to be in my small group, I was very excited. Because he has been such a blessing to our group with his presence, his comments, his demeanor, his willingness to be used. He's come to small groups regularly, Wednesday night live, our prayer meetings, helped us at tabling. He's invited his classmates to our meetings. He's going on a spring break missions trip. So because Boyd felt a deep connection to God and to us, when we went to fall retreat earlier this semester, he also felt the call and need to get baptized. <laughs> and ever since Boy has gone baptized, I've seen him grow so much, not only as a person, but also a Christian. Sharing his faith with his classmates, being willing to be used as vessels for God. And Boyd also has been the captain of our flag football team. Because when our small group first started meeting, we came up with some goals and initiatives that we wanted. And one of those was that we wanted to participate in intramural sports to have more communion with each other, but to also connect with non-Kayaka students. So Boyd, Luis and I, we got together, we were texting people, and we got a team together. Luis and I, we couldn't play because we're not students, so we were coaches instead. They let me be the head coach and the team manager in spite of my lack of knowledge and experience about the game. But I still was a helpful coach, wasn't I? I tapped into that supernatural wisdom that God can give you. So our first game, we only had four people. And the rest were nice enough to let us play with not a full team. And that's the photo you see there. It was also a rainy day also. But we were out there. We played our best. We had fun, right, guys? We did lose, but we had a good time. Then, the following week, we had more than a full team. We had more people in our small group join, and then we had many non-Kayaka students also come out. And when we played the game that let us go to the playoffs, we actually played the team that beat us in the first game. And this time, we had a full team, some Kayaka students in my small group, and then the rest non-VCU students. We actually beat the team the second time that beat us in the first game. 
And I also encourage not only how we got closer to each other, but how we were able to invite other students, not in Chi Alpha, into our community through a sport, flag football. And most of these extra students that came, I should have one more photo. It should be up there. Well, I know it's dark, and you can't see our faces, and you can't probably tell who they are, but it's a great photo. So we're getting ready to go to the playoffs. Also excited because we grew in so many ways. We grew in intimacy with each other. We grew in numbers. We had more students in our small on the flag football team and many non-Kaiapha students. And a lot of these students, too, that came on the team were not part of Kaiapha. Most of them, if not all of them, they don't come from a Christian background. But whenever we would pray before and after the game, they were willing to accept prayer. And I was encouraged by that because that was always the goal. Not to win or be the best, but to show hospitality to each other and extend it to other people. And that happened. And we're still in connection with a lot of those students. And, you know, next semester, there's another season of flag football. So we'll get together. And hopefully uh, they'll renew my contract so I can be the head coach again. <laughs> and the reason I want to highlight Board is because he is such a good example, and everyone that's smart really has been, about receiving God's kindness and goodness vertically and then being willing to extend it horizontally to other people. But what is keeping you from doing this? Is it busyness? Is it intimidation? Oh, I don't like talking to new people. They might think because I'm a Christian I'm strange. But I want to encourage you that the kingdom always has a seat for one more person. And in Kaiapha, we have three anchors. They're basically our foundational principles for how we operate as a ministry. So they're love God, love people, and pass it on. So how are you going to pass it on? And I want to encourage you, too, that this was an area of my life where I also struggled. I was very intimidated to meet new people when I was a freshman in college. Like I said, I wanted to keep people at a distance. But when I was brought into community, it made me passionate to expand, extend that community to other people as well. So it's so funny. When I was a freshman and a sophomore, one of my favorite things to do was to pass out flyers and invite everyone I know to Chi Alpha. Whether they were in the gym, in my classes, I just met them in the library. And that's why I want to encourage all of you to see that your life is a gospel that comes with a high school. And to use your life as a way to invite people to experience God and become a part of the family of God. So are you going to invite a friend to the gym or a Bible study? Are you going to connect with an international student? Maybe when you're walking on campus, pray and ask the Holy Spirit, who can I pray for today? And the area of this where I was really encouraged by this actually this morning, during our prayer meeting and after it ended, I was talking to Rashmita, and she also gave me permission to share this, by the way. So she's on your left. So when I was talking to Rashmita at the end of service, I was letting her know that I've been to her country, India, and that I really enjoy my time there. I love the food. I love the culture. And I told her I wanted to go back again someday. And she told me something that really touched me and that really surprised me. She was saying, when you go back to India, call me, and I will host you. And that really touched me in the sense that as an international student, we have welcomed into our community, and she has been a great friend, supportive to us, and this morning, she invited me into her community, and that's why I feel the kingdom of God should breathe, because the kingdom of God is comprised of different people in different cultures, and people look different to us. So what would happen if we all live life with the gospel being active? Because it really changed my life, it changed my world when I was invited, and now I invite people into it. But I'm just one person. How can we all do this? 
maybe that small group members that you're kind of on the fringe, they come every now and again to small group, and you text them, sometimes they respond, sometimes they don't. Maybe you and your small group go for an outing, you get boba tea, or you go to dinner at Village Cafe, bring them with you, invite them. Pursue people passionately. Because I would like to see all of us get out of our comfort zone and really see how we can make strangers, neighbors, and neighbors into a family of God. Because we're able to invite people and show a radical hospitality because Jesus first invited us. And our life is not our own. But our life is a tool to invite others to step into a relationship with God. And I really believe that when we invite people into our life and we show them God's goodness, we can really change the world. And this is one last piece in closing I want to leave you with. And it's Tim Keller's words. When I first became a Calvary missionary a couple years ago, you know, I was new to Cal, but as a professional, I was learning what it really meant to be a campus minister. And when I first became a missionary, I was taught this phrase that basically emphasized why we do ministry at the cost points. Why it's so important to show cost points how to live like Jesus. And they told us that you can change the world through the cost points. Because college students, I really want to encourage you that you really are the future of our society. I know it may sound like a cliche, but a cliche also means it's true. You're the leaders of tomorrow. You're the future teachers, engineers, business people. And we want to equip you not only to follow Jesus effectively, but to also invite people into that same community of hospitality. Because right now as college students, a lot of you are in the same season of life. If you're a freshman, you're trying to take those gen eds out of the way. If you're a sophomore, you're trying to say, okay, do I really want to stay in this major? If you're a junior, you're like, okay, I need to get an internship. When you're a senior, okay, what do I do now? Grad school or the workforce? But for the most part, you're in the same season of life. You have the same questions and challenges and struggles. Am I right? So college is a good time to connect with one another. Like I said, inviting a stranger to a Bible study, inviting them to go to a James group, praying for them, getting boba tea, but making your life accessible to other people, giving them a house key to your life so they can experience God's goodness. And I really believe that if we all did this, we could really change the world because we can change the world with college students. And right now, there are a couple of questions I want you all to ponder on. And then the worship team is going to come up and Catherine is going to play some keys. But these are two questions I want all of us to meditate on and work on. And there are, who can you invite into your life this week? And then, what is stopping me from inviting others into my life? 